This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing a short mini-series on the Bible, what to believe and what to leave. So we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ, and in this episode, we are examining the Bible through a clear and honest lens. So we're probably ruining the, ruining the Bible for some as we talk about old stories of the Old Testament and a few of the new and give some new perspectives that may go against what you've learned on the flannel graphs in Sunday school. But by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding, love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we are not fabricating anything. As many have done with the Bible, people have made up stuff all over the place. We're not going to do that tonight. And any information, any ideas, we're going to give an honest and authentic perspective in our examination. So this is our thinking space. We're presenting ideas and thoughts. And so tonight we're making our best attempt to explain the history of how the Bible came together and to give us practical thoughts and theologies to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chatter show notes on the social media platform that you're listening to and visit our Give page. So your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you <laughs> through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you. We can continue to learn and grow together. We value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas. And we're excited to build a communal hermeneutic around our shared exploration and perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. All right, tonight, the history of the Bible, how the Bible came together. Welcome, Shreya. Welcome, Jake. Thanks for joining us. Some nice Christmas background there, Jake, that you... Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So tonight we are covering the it is, history it is winter of... solstice tonight. It the is winter solstice. Of the year. It's the shortest day of the year. It felt like the shortest day of the year. It was the shortest day of the year. Yeah. Wow. Hopefully it was it doesn't really feel short. like the longest night of the year. What did you say? Hopefully it doesn't feel like the longest night of the year. <laughs> it might turn into that. <laughs> you never know. All right. So let's get into it because we have a lot of material to cover. And just as an introduction, I'm just going to just come out really simple because some people don't understand the Bible and that's okay. Uh, there's Christians that have been Christians for a very long time that don't understand the Bible. That's okay too. So we just need to start from the beginning and the Bible that you hold in your hand or on your device, let's say you get on Bible gateway or Bible hub or something like that. And you open up that app, that Bible, if it is a called the Holy Bible or a NIV or a CEB or an NLT version of the Bible. So that Bible that you go to the Christian bookstore, if they have those anymore, or you get on Amazon and you order that Bible, that Bible is the Christian Bible in the way that it is put together, the way that it's ordered, the chronological or lack of chronological ordering of the books, what's included in there, what is discluded in there, that Bible that you have is the Christian Bible. But there's other, let's call terms, and other manuscripts of the same material that are used in different faith traditions that are ordered differently, include or exclude, I guess that's the word, not disclude, exclude, including exclude certain books in the Bible. One of those would be the Catholic Bible, which includes some extra books in the middle between the Testaments. So the Apocrypha or the some, well, let's call it the Apocrypha right there in the middle 
um, the Maccabees books, if you've ever heard of those. That is in the Catholic Bible. Um, not to say that Catholics are not Christians. It's just just the terminology that we use for that Bible, the Catholic Bible. Um, then you have the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible would be used by um, Jews, modern day and, and ancient um, Jews and Hebrews. And so that Bible is the Hebrew Bible. So, so to say that the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible is probably not as accurate as we can be. We get what we're saying. We know what we're saying. But yet the Hebrew Bible is ordered differently and it's it's just different. And, and, uh, and it would be used in that other order by that faith tradition. The, well, there's other, um, even I would say not pseudo Christian, but I would say Christian groups that wouldn't be Orthodox Christian. Okay. So there wouldn't be an Orthodox Christian only take the Pauline writings. And so their Bible is pretty small. Um, and it's just the Pauline Paul wrote some of the new Testament. It would be just those writings. Some people only take the Jesus words. And so they only take the gospels. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke would be what they take sometimes John. So just, just some real basic thoughts. We're going to use the word canon. Canon actually is a weaponized word. It sounds like a weapon, but Christians weaponize the word canon. Like, do you believe in the canon? When somebody asks you that question, you know you're in the wrong conversation and you just need to get yourself out of there and say, I got an appointment, I need to leave. When somebody says, do you believe in the canon? What they actually are saying is, are you a fundamental Christian? That's what they're actually saying. That's what they're asking. So, so that, that you don't believe in a canon. The canon or the word canon is the measuring stick or the rule. Um, that's the word. It's the, it's, I would say it is the, the rubric that they used back in the day of what was supposed to be in the Bible or out of the Bible. It was like a filter. And so when the Bible was canonized, which is more of an action word, when that was canonized, that was the best attempt to say, this is the Bible. But other things were added and, and, and excluded later. And so we're going to go over that history. So Shreya, lead us out with our notes here. We are in the Old Testament. We're going to start with that first. And Can I say something that might help clarify canon? Yeah, please. Um, we do this with other literature too. Um, so like if you think of some of the popular ones, like there is a Star Wars canon like if you talk to Adam, I'm sure Adam could tell you what things are considered part of the real story and what things are maybe fan fiction or just not considered part of the Star Wars canon. Mm -hmm. So we already do this kind of thing with other literature and it's nice. basically the same thing. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that because I need clear that that word is thrown around so oh goodness mm -hmm. so okay let's go over our notes we did some pre-work yeah. to be honest we had to do some pre-work to get our oh get our order of things basically what did you say get our history in order yeah totally so let's start with the old testament mm -hmm. and basically we're going to go over the history of the old testament because when you go over the history of something or when you, when you, well, what we're going to do is we're going to give basically the foundation of the reasons why people have done what they've done with the Bible. And we're going to talk about what they've moved away from, what they've added, what they think happened. Um, that's basically what most people build theologies on anymore is, well, I think this happened, so therefore it's the real deal. So, so it's kind of like the theologies that we grab onto, like omniscient, omnipotent um, words for God. That's later theology. That was, that was developed by, by a group of people later in church history. 
And so those omni words that we that we learned in Bible college or Sunday school or wherever we learned them, or maybe you've heard them at church or whatever, that God is an omnipotent <clears throat> God. That's later theology. So the same the same thing happens with theology is we end up just adding and adding and adding, and then we don't even know really where the theologies came from. The same is true for the Bible, that we don't even know how the Bible is put together. We think that like it was magically put together, like God had like like magical people with magical writings and and it like like was God working through them right in some magical way to write these magical words and when you read them they're magical and so that's called illumination uh, doctrine and so there's an actual word for that so so it's because people don't really understand how scripture was put together and what the discussions were and the writings about those discussions were um, back in the day i think and also to clarify you can be a christian and not believe the entire bible is scripture oh yeah even even any of it or like um that is god breathed god ordained anything so mm -hmm. um the early church functioned for hundreds of years without the guiding text hundreds of years they had texts floating around they had the hebrew bible they mm -hmm. did have the letters and they had the gospels they had those things but they weren't all put together all in front of them with such weight that we put on it today is much different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the old Testament. The old Testament yeah. is an important yes. um, ancient scripture. And I'm going to give a different kind of importance. It's important to a, to a group of people, right? It's a group of people that followed God. But it's it's very important to like literary structure. It's important to how like writings developed and evolved into what we read and write today. And so the Hebrew Bible is a beautiful piece of literature, number one. Um, number two, I definitely believe that the way that it was written is truly inspired. Now I'm going to say that in a very meaningful way, because when I say inspired to actually write in the way that the old Testament is written is truly at the heartfelt core of God and man, God and people. Right. And when you look at scripture and to, to devalue it into a history book, to devalue this piece of literature into a chronological order of historical facts and figures is actually deservicing, deservicing, but also devaluing and taking the Bible and putting it at a very, very low level. So I'm going to raise that level of the Old Testament where the way that it is written is truly inspired. <clears throat> I believe something very different about the Old Testament than many of my, let's say, conservative uh, friends that I have out there. Some people believe that the characters of the Bible and the stories of the Bible are complete history. I don't believe that. I believe that there's more to the story than just a history, facts, and figures. There's a truth in it. There's a rhythm in it. There's a powerful message. There's a powerful life, um, rule of life in it that we can capture. And when we reduce the Bible to a history book, we pretty much have lost, I would say, 90% of the message that it's trying to portray. So I'm just going to be clear and, and real personal with you right now, is that's what I believe about the Bible. And that's what I believe about the Old Testament, that it's truly inspired in that way. Um, but it's written in a certain way. So Shreya, take us through the order of, of well, start us out with yeah. how the Bible, the Old Testament was, was put together. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's t important to remember that for centuries, um, what we consider the Bible was part of an oral tradition. Um, so it wasn't written down. It was stories that were passed down um, 
from family member to family member, from tribe to tribe. Um, and because, because that's so localized within the community, there were different versions of the same stories circulating in the communities. Um, that's something we've talked a lot about, especially with the first five books of the Bible. Um, so that's kind of a starting point, but um, I think the story of Josiah is the first place that we see the Bible mention itself, if you want to say it that way, the first time that the scriptures are referred to as such. Um, so in the story, um, Josiah is cleaning up the temple. It's kind of fallen into disrepair and they discover a scroll um, and the scroll contains the law. So it's part of the Pentateuch. I don't know for sure which part, um, but yeah. And they read the scroll and it's like this um, renewal of faith back to Yahweh. Mm. So that's our first moment that happens in second Kings 22. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin, in the pre-work, you had said something about King Hezekiah. I couldn't well, find yeah, anything so, anywhere. <laughs> do you remember what that was about? Yeah, I do. I do. So okay. before that, though, um, yeah. there is an Egyptian inscription from 13, the 13th century BC. Okay. And that inscription in 1300 is the first known artifact that we have stating that the that the Hebrew people existed. Okay. That one inscription. Um, it doesn't say anything about them being enslaved. It doesn't say anything like that. It's just a notation that that Israel exists, right? And so, so we're talking. Let's say thirteen hundred. This group of people is roaming around as a community, as in tribes, but we don't see any kind of like writing notated or any kind of like, well, there, excuse me, there's, there's other inscriptions. I would say that the, the, uh, the ninth century also mm -hmm. is another inscription that we see, um, that 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 Yahweh, the Jewish God is, or the Hebrew God is Yahweh. So we know that we know that this group existed, but we are very, um, I guess, loose and unsure of when these writings of the Old Testament actually were collected, even in oral tradition. And so the first that we know is uh, Hezekiah. Um, of Judah. And that's the 8th century BC. And historians basically um, have, 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 you know, noted that this would be about the royals, this would be about, like the royal history of the heroic uh, uh, legends. And so, so what exactly those writings were that that then evolves into, I guess, the 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 books of maybe Deuteronomy and mm -hmm. and judges in this sixth century Josiah Leviticus, yeah. time. So like um, when you're reading the Old Testament and you, especially I think in the book of the Kings, they'll, they'll refer to other books um, that we don't have and we don't know what's in them. Those are the, the kinds of books that you're referring to right now, right? Yes. That, uh -huh. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we so we know other yeah. scrolls existed. What'd you say? So we know other scrolls existed. Right. Um, leading up, we don't see a compilation of like maybe oral tradition and maybe some scribal stuff. And we don't see anything really until um, captivity. Mm -hmm. And so truly, like, that's why a lot of historians or theologians, especially Old Testament scholars, would say the Bible was compiled in exile. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's 586, right? Is when right. Mm -hmm. exile started. Right. Yeah. 722 is the lost tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, but let's talk about that just a little bit because that's exciting. The Northern Kingdom destroyed by Assyria. Yes. So those people were scattered, 
right? Uh Those people were scattered. And there is a tribe or a group of people, the Qingmen tribe or the group that is a large group of people now in China. And they actually, all of their, well, many of their traditions and their religious traditions as a group um, are, 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 are very Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And so they have in their history um, and their oral history and in, in their written history that they are a part of the lost tribes of Israel. So did that's 722. So did those maybe writings or those early writings of like the Josiah days, did those end up somehow right? Like the pre-Johatsiah days, I guess. Did those end up like all the way into Asia? I have no idea. I would would assume that they carried maybe a few things with them, Um, maybe just in oral tradition uh, that they carried some things with them. But that's like, that's like really, we're guessing there. It's a big Um, guess. That's a big guess. But they would claim that group would complain, complain, claim, that group would claim, can't say that tonight, that that, that tradition was carried forward into China. Hmm. That is incredibly profound because now in 500-ish-esque in there, that you have Confucius and the emergence of Confucianism. And Confucianism is thought to be like just another just like like parallel rails to um hebrew thought so i just i just wonder like when i read stuff like that it's like well okay how much influence did each one have on each other and who was influencing who and and but i have to tell you there would have been some kind of collection of writings around all of these regions that they would have considered scripture so we see, though, back to Sharia, we see these compile in this 586 exile. The Babylonian Empire comes in, not the Assyrians. Assyrians were 722. So Babylonian comes in, Babylonia comes in, and we see this group basically um, put Hebrew people in exile. Israel is now in exile. So that, that's just extra. That's all extra. That's a little extra information. I think the we don't know when it was compiled. No one does. I think that's that's the gist of it as well. And the the idea of of it being written in a vacuum is right. false. And so there there are exterior influences like uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Ten Commandments. Um, the right. Story of, the story of Job um, is a complete uh, Egyptian story as well. Um, Hammurabi's code is in there a lot. There's there's a right. lot of there's a lot of ideas and principles that were borrowed not not in a in a weird or not in a weird way. I think we just we take those stories and and we use them, but also um, taking the entire Old Testament as scripture has in a lot of i think it's in a lot of damage in that you get to judges and kings and chronicles and uh, you see god being co-opted for for violence and and military and and kingdom and all these ideas that 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 god clearly spoke out against in the in the first five books and so by taking the whole thing as scripture as well, I think we definitely have to we definitely have to look at it and and layer what in the canon, what do we find more important? And so no one really no one really functions, no Christian functions, I should say, like the entire Old Testament is scripture. There's rules and laws that none of us follow. And so to and to then to base your ideas on one of those rules and laws that you don't follow and just pick and choose, that's also that's also a fallacy as well. So how you 
Go ahead. No, I was just going to add that if you let's let's take a ten thousand foot view for a moment. That's a so, high view. Or is that a low view? That's a high view. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty thousand feet. Uh, let's just look at the, at a bigger picture. So let's say. Well, let's let's start from this. Some people believe that that God, like a like a pen in a person's hand, dictated scripture on a manuscript, and it is directly like dictated from God, just almost like the voice of God to the hand of man, and they wrote on a piece of paper. Plenary verbal, it's called. <laughs> that idea of of scripture leaves out, I guess, the human element. So you see human elements though in scripture. So what do you do with those human elements if you are more of a you know dictation type person? Um, there's other views too that let that like Peter ends would say the Bible is like a, a scripture that's written fully by God and fully by human human beings. And I would take that that view that there's a human element to scripture. So let's just say, let's just say you believe that Exodus is historically the way that 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 piece of history is historically mapped out like Exodus, that the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and it played out exactly historically all the facts and the figures are historically accurate in the book of Exodus. It's not a story. It's not a recreation story. It's not a bigger metaphor. There's, there's, it's not, it it's actually not, happened. yeah, it actually happened, right? Let's just say, if you're one of those people, Moses is in Egypt. Moses is in the Pharaoh's family. Moses is influenced by Pharaoh and Egypt. So when you read the Ten Commandments, you can pull those Ten Commandments out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So if you can pull something out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is pretty much like if you believe that Moses was there, that Moses would have adopted the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So there has to be a, a human element to, to the Bible. No matter what, there's a human element to the Bible. So this whole idea of dictation where God just penciled somebody's or used somebody's hand to pencil out scripture, it's just not, it's just not reasonable because there's a definite human element. When you have the human element now, you have a human perspective. And so in the human perspective, you then can bring all kinds of human contexts, all kinds of historical contexts, all kinds of metaphor, simile, illustration con into, into the story. Um, so no matter what, if you believe maybe, maybe this story was written for a purpose, like Exodus was written for a purpose, and the Egyptians knew the Hebrew people, and the Hebrew people knew the Egyptians, and maybe they got a hold of the Book of the Dead and they wrote those down and said, hey, that's a really cool set of, of rules. So let's borrow those from them. There's still a human element. Either camps do not take away if you believe that the Bible is the word of God. It doesn't take either. It doesn't say it's not. I'm not saying in either way that the Bible is not like from God. What I'm saying is there's a human element to the Bible that needs to be considered, whatever viewpoint you give. So I've had people attack me for my views of like scripture, like the views of the stories of the Old Testament, because I don't believe in like a historical version of Jonah, um, or I don't believe in a historical version of Exodus. People will, uh, will attack me because for some reason, the historical version is more canonical, I guess, to them than a metaphoric type version. So I just wanted to bring that up because I don't know why I was bringing that up. Just to add more, add more to, to the story of maybe the structure or the compilation of the Bible definitely could have happened in exile. Um, 
to its fullest even. Um, and we know that every book was not written. Most every book was not written by one single author. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. It wasn't written in a vacuum. It mm -hmm. wasn't written in... There, is, there are errors in it. Mm -hmm. in, and so if you're willing to claim that if if God dictated that letter to make error, that's also a hard line of logic to follow. And then was that error purposeful? Mm -hmm. just, just thoughts. Hmm. Well, let's continue on because then we have some translations that happen uh, leading up to the birth of Christ, like forwards. So let's get up into more right. modern history, turn of the millennia history here. Mm -hmm. uh, I, this is a weak spot in my knowledge, but my, I know we're talking yeah. about the Septuagint. Jake, do you want to yeah. say something about that? Um, so the Septuagint, if it, it's the 70th or 70s, uh, mm -hmm. it's the, the lore is that there are 70 scribes over 70 days that translate the Hebrew text into Greek. Mm -hmm. And so that, that base of, of information then. I mean, that, that's what all of our Bibles are, are, are based on is, as that Septuagint mm -hmm. version. Um, it is interesting because I believe that's before the Masoretes. And so the Masoretic text came about in the 600-ish, I'd mm -hmm. say. Yeah. And so the Septuagint was even before that. And so they had oral traditions coming in and explaining the text to the scribes that they would write. And then right. if you line that up against the Masoretic text, which is where we get the Hebrew vowel pointing at. So like if you look at a, a bank of Hebrew writing, especially in the day, there would be no vowel pointing. So like mm -hmm. if you ever see a tattoo with little dots and lines, it's not a real Hebrew tattoo. It's, it's something completely different. Um, it's just a poser. Then the idea uh, for for the scribes to have that much accuracy was is, is the miracle of the Septuagint, and I believe it becomes the received text. Correct, Kevin? No, no. The received text is the is the Latin Vulgate, and so the Latin Vulgate is the Vulgate's based on. I don't know what the Vulgate's based on, to be honest. It might be based on the Septuagint, but I know, I know that it had to have been, it had to have been an old version of the Hebrew text. Mm -hmm. That's something to research to to look into. Well, the Septuagint. So you have the start of the Greek Empire, and that's like the three hundreds BC, and so then that, <clears throat> then that uh, continues until. 50, 30, 30 BC or 31, maybe 31. Right. BC. So we talked a little bit about Hellenization. So the Greeks had um, a process when they would um, conquer a nation to mm -hmm. almost kind of overtake the um, native culture with their Greek culture. And that was called Hellenization. Mm -hmm. Um and so the Septuagint can kind of fit into that process as well. Um, taking this thing that was part of the Hebrew tradition and making it just a little bit more Greek. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit more. Now, I'll, I'll say the fall of the whole empires, Greek and Roman empires, was because of Hellenization. They went farther and farther and farther out into the rural communities and we're trying to take barbarians and basically just people out there and tribes and such, trying to convert them over to Greek cultural ideas. I call it the fall of the Roman Empire is because of beer and potatoes, not because of mm -hmm. anything else. 
ends, and that's a metaphor of basically saying that the the Greeks and the Romans were very refined eaters, refined drinkers. They they had wines, they had like like uh, uh, fruits and 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 food that was refined and cooked and such. When the barbarians would eat and dig in the ground, you know, for root plants and drank um, basically like herbal fermented herbal type things and so so that was their beer of the time and their root eaters so that's the potatoes so so eventually the the greeks and the romans or the romans then continue this process and they get so far out and all roads lead back to rome but it takes a long time to get there so so eventually those out liars then start to rebel and convert back to the center and eventually the roman empire falls but um but yeah so the hellenization process religion wise the greeks would have looked at the hebrews the israelites and they would have said we don't accept this bible um you're going to and it's it's a uh, ptolemy i think it was yeah, Ptolemy was the uh, king in the Egypt, uh, the king that actually forced the the translation. Mm -hmm. So that's the Septuagint. That's the one that Paul refers to. A mm -hmm. lot of his writings, Paul is referring, not exclusively, but Paul is referring to Septuagint. Um, to the Septuagint. Yeah, when he refers to the Old Testament, he's referring to the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. Mm -hmm. And when in 1955 ish, mm -hmm. um, a young shepherd boy was throwing rocks at a hill and heard this clay pottery breaking as he would throw and he kept throwing and throwing and eventually he climbed up to see and there were a bunch of scrolls from the third century BCE. So, and all the way to first century <clears throat> CE. Yeah. And so when you take those texts and you, and you put them up against the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible that is floating around, our text that we have, most of it, is very, very, very close to what mm -hmm. Jesus would have had, what Paul would have had in the, in the synagogues and elsewhere. So we... The text that we have 2000 years later is super close, which is also crazy. <laughs> there is a problem with the book of Daniel, which is an important book for all the premillennial people out there and, and such that the end times people, um, the problem with the book of Daniel is it claims to be written in upheaval exile prison 586 ish, but pretty much we know that the book of daniel was written at this time too in the third century bc so so there are as jake said there's errors in the bible the bible that we have does have errors in them and whether that be translation errors whether that be historical from translation from book to book to book to book to or write or copy after copy after copy that we see errors <clears throat> that um, or whether you believe that the person that wrote the book of Daniel just messed up, uh, whatever. There's a very human element to the Bible that cannot be forgotten. And the Bible does have errors that have to be reconciled. Um, and we're going to help you reconcile some of those. And some of them just can't reconcile them. Just kind of have to absorb it that that Bible that you hold in your hand is not perfect. And I'm totally comfortable saying that. And I'm totally comfortable still holding on to the Bible is an inspired book from from God. And so so I don't have a problem with with saying that it has some errors in it because there's a very human element to the Bible. Okay, so now we get into now this in between time, right? Yeah. So now we're now we're in the between the testaments. Intertestimonial inter intertestament history. You mentioned Daniel. That's a great transition point um, because we're talking about the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. Um, yeah. And there's at least two books in the Apocrypha where Daniel is a character. 
Um, and so, I mean, historically, there's no way that Daniel is going to exist in 586. And then also again in 300 for right. these apocryphal books. He didn't live right. over 200 years. Right. So already we can see there's some challenges with the dating of those texts. Right. So you have the Apocrypha, mm -hmm. and then you have in the Apocrypha, the pseudo Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the challenges with the Apocrypha? That's the first, second, third Maccabees. Mm -hmm. that's, that's those extra books. When you go totally. to the Catholic Mass, when you go to Midnight Mass, just like if they got a Catholic Bible there, pull it out and look at those middle books. Go, what are those? <laughs> what are those? They're just books that didn't meet the canon. So by canon is the, is the measuring stick. Um, mm -hmm. If it is connected with Jesus, it usually had some type of, of Gnostic teaching or some type of uh, weird, mm. weird magical elements that mm -hmm. the church fathers didn't want included. I think the gospel of right. Judas um, has like Jesus turning birds into stones early on and stuff. Nice. So, Children into birds. What? Nice. Children into birds, I think. Yeah. So there's like Jesus being mischievous with his power, like early on. Mm -hmm. um, some texts I don't know. I didn't, they didn't make it. They just probably just weren't well liked. Uh, mm -hmm. like Tobit has no reason not to be in there. In the mm -hmm. it just wasn't Does well it have liked. a strong reason to be there? though no. at the same time and, right um, just kind of neutral neutral but there are books that probably do belong there that we actually have in mm -hmm. our own in our own bible um like revelation is probably a book that has been contentious since it was put yep. in yep. in 419 right and mm -hmm. so there's 419 years of a revelation and not being put into the approved text, I guess, how you would mm -hmm. say it. And so think about how much drama that would solve if it was just pulled out. <laughs> there, yeah. would be no, there would be no need for Kirk Cameron. So how do we... <laughs> there would be no need for the whole series. Yeah. So how... I think that's what the early church fathers were trying to stand against is like, there are books people were having i think fan fiction fun with writing and so and so what do you do with those you put those aside they have a place the another issue that you have like the book of enoch is incredibly apocalyptic or like end times orientated mm -hmm. just weirdness mm -hmm. which well if i could interrupt just a little bit that was one of the filters that that's this is why revelation and second peter took a long time to get into the Bible because, because that was one of the filters, no apocalyptic literature. Okay. And apocalyptic literature was really popular in the intertestament time. Yeah. yeah. Jesus yeah. was, Jesus would have been well, way into end time because they were living in a captive land. Right. Right. And so when you get focused on end times is usually when you're being slave, when you're being, Mm -hmm. um, taken over when you're, you're wanting the whole end of the world to come. So there's no more pain and suffering. So, but also the central figure was also an important, uh, filter too. So if the central figure of the book, the yeah. person that the book was written about, usually they could tell that was probably a commissioned book, maybe to make that person look really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whether it be like, like a well it would be it would be a like the book of thomas mm -hmm. right so i'm not sure exactly in that apocryphal book um if thomas becomes the hero but definitely if thomas is the hero <laughs> then yeah, somebody thanks. paid for thomas to be the hero in that book so mm -hmm. so those kind of filters were very um mm -hmm. strict back yeah. then yeah going back to the book of enoch though jesus quotes the book of enoch yeah and so you had this incredibly contentious apocryphal book mm -hmm. but it's central jesus message so what do you do with that and mm -hmm. 
they they finally decided to pull it out. Um, if you read like a Lutheran Bible, the Luther Bible, you will not see James or Revelation. Hebrews is kind of iffy sometimes. I believe Second Peter, Second Third John are both gone, and so hmm. where are we at? Intertestimonial. I'm sorry, apocryphal. Yeah. So like, so like books that we have that we believe are like in the canon are still fought about whether they should be in there or not, or they should drop down to apocryphal. Hmm. Well, Second Peter, hmm. where Jesus now, there's a whole theology on and my, my friend patty just was asking me about this the other day she's like what about this jesus descending into hell what about like, that? How, what, what about that and and that's in the that's in the creed you know that's in the big creed and mm -hmm. so what about that theology that actually is a quote from the book of enoch yep, and so is. that idea is just from an apocryphal book. Why did the writer of Second Peter quote the book of Enoch or use the book of Enoch to make that scripture? I have no idea. These are the things that like you'd say, well, I don't know. You know, I just, just, I guess, just leave that part out. You don't even have to think about that, you know, but for some reason it stuck out to somebody at the time and we had to make a theology about it. So now we have this theology that Jesus on the cross, when the sky went dark and somehow God turned his back on Christ, which is not even hello. Right, well, so is. then Jesus at that moment dies and then he descends into hell to preach the gospel. Now, this is how far this goes is to preach the gospel to hell. It wasn't, and it wasn't hell. Oh, excuse me, Hades. No, and, it wasn't Hades. I think it was like... Yeah, it was Hades. It's translated Hades in Second Peter. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, it's translated Hades. But really, at the time, that was just the holding place anyway. So right. then they go into... <laughs> Jesus goes into Hades, preaches to these spirits in prison that were disobedient in the days of Noah long ago. And so, so Jesus now is what? Giving them a second chance? Is Jesus like... Is there like some other, now we're going to save them too? I have a hard, hard, um, I have a problem with theologies that are built off of scripture like that. Um, because they, well, number one, that he's quoting uh, the book of Enoch. Yeah. Now, if you preach that on Sunday morning and you said, oh, by the way, second Peter three, whatever and change says that this, you know, Jesus descending into Hades to preach to the spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah long ago, that's out of the book of Enoch. Mm -hmm. Like that yeah. doesn't sell well on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, well, what sells I mean, is the magical story of Jesus descending into some underworld, you know, with the horny guy, like, you know. It has to do with what you think the text is, right? Like it becomes a problem if... You make a um, well, it becomes a problem if you think that this is a historical document and now Jesus is quoting the book of Enoch. So that must make that a historical document too. And where does it end? Right. Right. But I mean, if it's just a story that Jesus audience would have known and so he can reference it in a way that fits his message, everybody knows what he's talking about. Right. right. So we don't we don't have to put so much pressure on every single part of the text. Right. OK, let's go back to intertestament. Let's move forward to the New Testament because we have to we, we can uh, we can. I know we have day. like fifteen hundred <laughs> more years to go. I do think yeah. that the Maccabees should be. If 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 first second Kings first second Chronicles made it in. There are no reason the Maccabees didn't. <laughs> right. And it provides really great context for understanding the world that Jesus lived in. First and Chronicles, first second Kings, and I think Second Samuel mm -hmm. are so interchangeable. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe the last it's the last chapter of 
Second Samuel in the last chapter of Second Chronicles is the exact same verbatim. Word for word. Word yeah. for word. And so something like that. There are places like that between them. So the Maccabees definitely should have made it in. I have I have pitch for that. <laughs> so if Jake was in control, yeah. <laughs> Maccabees Tobit would have made it in. Because you can only go blind. Revelation would be out. It would be completely out. Okay, let's go it's to the Gospels. Book. Now well, we're going to the Gospels. We've got to talk about Paul. Say that one more time. Um, got chronological, you talk about Paul next. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really important when um, we're looking at the story of the New Testament to understand that Paul's writings came first before the Gospels yeah. were written down. What? <laughs> kidding. It just seems like that just because it's in this order, like right. even me when I first picked up the Bible. The story happened, but not the order that the text happened. Exactly. It's like we memorized that song to get the Bibles in order, right? Yeah, we memorized that. Did Sunday. we? I got the Old Testament I, really good. I never got the New Testament song. Yeah, I never get. My wife knows that song, but I don't know that song at all. Okay, so Paul's writings. These are all the um, the letters. Some people call them letters. Mm -hmm. um, they are the the writings to the churches, like First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Mm -hmm. um, I think Galatians was likely the first one. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you attribute the Timothys to Paul, then they're going to be the last ones. Right, right, right before he dies, bring my parchments, mm -hmm. right? Um, going. I believe the book of James was also written pretty early, so it was circulating around this time, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't accepted into the canon until much later. Much, much later. Right, right. And why is that? Because faith without works is dead. So now we have this like theology that people clinged on to that it was grace-based, but now we have this faith and works-based thing going on in James. So Martin Luther hated the book of James. He wanted to get mm -hmm. rid of it. Okay. The, with Paul's yep. writings, um, a lot of information is coming out right now that there are multiple Pauls. And so you're the first Paul, and it could be the same person, just has to change the heart again again and again but you have the first paul <laughs> that's that's very anti-establishment anti um mm -hmm. anti-government anti uh empire empire and mm -hmm. then you have the second paul who is like well let's rethink that so it's a softer right. paul uh, so romans is is considered second paul then right because of that chapter 13 where he's right. like hey the Roman government is supposed to be there. Make sure you listen to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we have Galatians, which is a complete, like, just turn your back on the empire. And now Romans, mm -hmm. you go into Romans and it's, um, I forget the exact verbiage, but um, love your empire. Respect their authority. Do what they say. Right. Yeah. And so. If you think well, I had a way back in the day, um, I had a very popular theologian teach a new testament class old testament and new testament actually and um it's when uh when i was getting my master's degree so this bible professor basically gave quite a compelling argument that possibly and i'm going to be careful when i say this possibly none of these books were written by the original that that possibly their disciples wrote them mm -hmm. and maybe they did the work for them at the time or after they died they made sure to get it on paper um there's actually a very compelling argument for that and if that's the case let's say it was you know a disciple of a disciple writing about this that there could have been a change tribute That's books were very out. popular in the day the what tribute books were yeah. very <laughs> popular so right. like um especially for empire emperors and 
other people of power. Right. And that's why like the book of Thomas and the book of Judas and mm-hmm. that's why those were thrown out so quickly is because those are both tribute books mm-hmm. that there's no connection to the author whatsoever. And Hebrews, Hebrews has had a really sketchy history for a long time because no one knows who the author is. There's no, there's no even written author. And right. so we right. make all these conjectures of, of who it, who it is, but um, because we don't we don't know who is attributed to or who the author is, that's that's why we've had a hard time including it. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, it's it's uh, Mark is not the Apostle Mark. No, Matthew probably not the Apostle Matthew. Lots right. of Pauls. We know that Paul's handwriting. Look at my own handwriting here. Um, right. That's weird. First and second, third Peter. Let's not forget that Peter was a fisherman, probably did not have the best. But third and fourth Peter is missing. Isn't there a fourth? Oh, gosh. I think so. I think there's five. It's thought that we only have the two. Um, but then there's other other Peters out there that are you know lost. And we know some of these books are lost because they're referring to other things that we had. It's like, what are they referring to? You know, oh, when yeah. you read along. Then when, we look at when, the we look at the gospels and you line them up. You had the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you well, we're not in the gospels yet. We're about are we going no. to the gospels? I was making that transition pretty hard. Is that okay or no? Okay. Yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm now we're in the gospels. We're out of Paul's writings. Now we're in the gospels. It, it right? fit. And so you go into Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those are the the synoptic gospels. Those are ones the that same. They That's sing why together. Yeah. And then you together. go into John, which is just crazy. And then you have the idea. Well, that, be fair. Well, be we fair. Can, well, let's go back, back to it, John. It, Don't just it doesn't. John. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't fit within the other two, three. Those are all referencing right. this other text that we call Q Q form. Which is really weird because QAnon now, not the best. Oh, okay. No, so you didn't have to go there. <laughs> from, is it Quell or Quella? Quella. It's and German. And it means source. It yeah. means what? Source. Source. Yeah. So it's a German word, Kell mm-hmm. or Kella, that um, is translated as we call it Q source, but that's yeah. what mm-hmm. it translates to a source. source. Yeah. The source Q Quella. The first time I ever heard about Q, first time I ever heard about it was. Did you have a faith crisis? I did. I did. I was just a mess. It was unbelievable. But but go ahead, Jake. Explain Q and then let's wrap this up. So Q (laughs) is a. Because the Gospels are the last written books that we have, probably. Probably. Especially John. Um, and those are a long ways away from any type of Jesus speak that we have. And so if we want to believe that Jesus actually said the words that are written down yes. in the Gospels, they have to come from another source. Mm-hmm. And that source, so it's a hypothetical source, really, that there would have been scribes around and paid scribes around and probably paid maybe even to try to catch Jesus in what he was saying, write these things down that he's saying. So there would have been scribe type material out there that would have written the quote unquote words of Jesus. Those probably hundreds of documents, if not thousands of documents over, you know, a a period of time that were floating around about, Jesus's, um, Jesus and his, his ministry. But the reason why we actually know that there's a source, there's a Q source is Matthew, Mark, and Luke considered synoptic gospels. And some of the, and, and Mark is considered the first one written and Matthew and Luke, we know didn't sit there and like, it wasn't in the vacuum. It was, yeah, it was, it was not like written in a vacuum. So, so we know that there's borrowed material word for word in 
the different synoptics from one another. But then there's other material that ends up in like Matthew and Luke that are exactly the same, but they weren't written at the same time. And they weren't even written in the same area. So like now we have like, okay, where did they get this word for word information? Did they have each other's? That's a, that's a thought that they had each other's books. Or they got it from another source. It's very reasonable. And you're not some liberal going to hell if, you know, because that's what conservative Christians sometimes say. And liberals say that about conservatives. Conservatives say that about liberals is because of what we believe we're going to hell. So no one's going to hell if you believe that Matthew or Luke borrowed some material. Mm Mm-hmm. No, not at all. It's all borrowed material. It's just where is it borrowed from and how they get it is the question. Right. So we have these gospels. So John, give a fair shake at John. John is a book that people have debated is even a gospel or even the theology that's written in John seems very different, very <laughs> almost, almost like hyper spiritual in some places very mystical very mystical and i would say this about the book of john the book of john is written in a way that has is like a playwright wrote for plays and the book of john the best compelling argument that i've heard of why the book of john is written in the way that the book of john is written is because it was written to be acted out on a stage And that's a very reasonable idea because you have this idea of the gospel and then you have the Roman like kind of way of life and theater would have been a part of that culture. So the idea of John being acted out um, is pretty reasonable, is a pretty reasonable thought. So I would say that the book of John still has validity, but I know some people that just want to reject the book of John because it is just so out there and so, uh, so different, but it is different. Um, but now then revelation revelation is a book that is apocalyptic. And what makes it apocalyptic is basically this, the big scenes it's yeah, it has big scenes, but also it's using language, metaphor, illustration, and ideas to point towards real life subjects and real like ideas, whether it's a historical thing, I have no idea and probably not, but real historical people and real historical ideas, definitely. And so like 666, if you use, if you use some numbers in Hebrew, you come up with the name Neron Kazar. So like Caesar Nero, or if you uh, take like the the numbers of three or twelve or one hundred and forty four thousand, that's you know a division or a, a multiplication rather of twelve and a thousand. A thousand year reign was the Hebrew perfect number for like like eternity. So so you have you have some things in the Book of Revelation. It's definitely apocalyptic, but to say that that points towards some future end time is pretty irresponsible because that letter Mm -hmm. would have been understood by those churches in Asia. They would have understood the letter. They would have known what all of that was about. So that's all I wanted to say about the book of Revelation. Yeah, because we'll have a whole episode on that one so we can really get into it then. One one book that we never focus on that's not apocryphal Apocrypha, City Apocrypha, or even, and it's one of the oldest books that we have, is the Didache. Oh, yeah. Say it again. The Didache. Oh, mm-hmm. And so the Didache was written in the first century. It's probably the oldest text that we have access to. Um, we don't focus on that writing for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, but Maybe we can find out why and come back to it. Sure. 
But the we do have information on how the church functioned and acted in the first century, and it's it's right there. Okay, concluding thoughts. The canon is not a succinct or well-defined boundary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we've come about the most in this tonight's podcast. Sharia. Are these concluding thoughts for the whole for the whole evening? The whole evening. Oh man, we didn't even get into the history stuff. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> Um, the last thing that I had in that section of the notes was the question, when did the New Testament books start to be considered scripture? Um, and I just think that's a great, um, question to kind of meditate on, um, because it took a very long time. I think there's this idea that Paul knew he was writing the scriptures as he was writing. Um, and that's, very likely not the case. When Paul talks about the scriptures, he's referring to the Hebrew Bible, to the Old Testament, to the Septuagint. Um, Mm -hmm. So it just took a very long time to form what we consider scripture. And it's a whole lot more fluid than I think conservative Christianity wants to believe. Yeah. Yeah. My conclusion is more to come. We're going to start with that history next week to talk about the canonization of scripture, but then we're going to get into the stories and we're going to start talking about these stories. And for some, they might, we might ruin the Bible for you. We're not sorry for that. We might send you into this deconstruction kind of mode for a little bit, but that's okay. So with that, thanks, Shreya. Thanks, Jake. Good night, everybody.